I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You can get really good at doing something you don't want to do. Why don't you try to do what you do want to do? And for me, that was acting. After spending some time in Paris, Madeleine decided to make the move to Dublin thanks to a good job offer, but most of all, because it represented a new adventure. She made sure the adventure didn't stop once she arrived on Irish soil though, as she rediscovered her passion for acting and subsequently began performing stand-up comedy here in the capital city. We delve into her creative process and what motivates her as a writer, an actor and a stand-up comic. She tells us about her time growing up between New York, Connecticut and Austin and we chat a little bit about how Ireland relates to other countries. As a pre-warning, this episode did not come without its technical difficulties. Towards the very end of our conversation, my laptop died a sudden death only to be revived again by the incredible invention of a charger. My apologies for the abrupt stop and restart of our conversation at the end but I was over the moon that we hadn't lost our conversation completely because this is a good one. Thanks again to Madeline and to you for listening and now my conversation with Madeline. And you're having a conversation so and I have to be respectful of people's time of your time so if there's something a little bit wrong with the with the sound or the video, it's re- it's really hard to repeat it. Yeah, you know, it's not like you're shooting something. I don't know, whatever, like a TV series yeah, where there's no there's ADR. people like monitoring everything. Yeah, and they're like, no, no, that was wrong. Let's do it again. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, I guess maybe if you have a big podcast, there must be like producers and mm. people monitoring it and stuff like mm. that. That's true. But uh, with this, it's super amateur <laughs> I love but we're it. making it work also i i don't know why i didn't think of this before but i moved closer to the microphone so i have no idea if i'm in frame again yes that's okay, perfect perfect <laughs> what is your podcast about um so when i was living in paris i had one with a friend that was eight episodes long we called it like just one season kind of kick because it's just it's hard to kind of set up something like this and then align with people and we both moved away from paris so we got eight episodes out of it and it was like solo traveling and like living in paris and you know being in our 20s figuring stuff out and like during covid and stuff and then this one i have with my two friends uh one's from india and one's from italy and so it's sort of again like living abroad but also we met through a comedy course and so we talk about we just get together and talk about things and I like to make it kind of comedic and um I don't know it's just really we we realized we were having deep conversations anyway so we were like this could be a great podcast you know that kind of way um but it's up to me to edit them and so therefore we have it we've done three episodes and the first one we botched the sound completely like we haven't figured out how to do two microphones at once okay um and so it echoed the sound uh the entire time and then the second episode we tried video which 
this is like perfect I don't know why we didn't think of this we were like doing it with this crazy camera and like where you have to synchronize the sound in the camera manually and like it's just gonna it's take really a bit tired, to, right? <laughs> to release it yeah so kudos to you for like just getting everything out there and like happening. I said this before because obviously I, I have a job and anybody else that helps also has a job like we we don't make any money from this or anything so um i kind of said if it's not streamlined to the sense that it's as little work as possible Mm. obviously we do i actually probably am doing about 10 or 12 hours work on this a week Mm. between trying to find people for the podcast between editing all of the stuff yeah like you know what you just said editing that takes so long especially if you don't have a clue what you're doing oh yeah um like it's the simple stuff like we're we're recording visually as well and then Mm -hmm. i'll have to sync the the audio to the video later i don't even know how to do that <laughs> there's nothing as far as i can see there's no like real magic other than just yeah. literally getting the two like clips and just trying to line them up together yeah but i'm sure if a professional was doing that they'd take like 10 seconds it mm. takes me 30 minutes mm. so then then you've got the 30 minutes wasted then it'll take your computer about 20 minutes to actually process that change mm-hmm. and then you can go and start making clips so you can for whatever it might be um, and that is like really it just takes a long time so yeah. I think one thing I've learned is if you're gonna if somebody's starting a podcast I, I love it so that's not an issue like I really really enjoy it mm-hmm. but if you're getting other people to help it, they also have to mm-hmm. and I don't know what the question is to ask to really find out if somebody's gonna love it because if they don't it's a big ask in terms of the amount of time commitments that you need if you want to do it every week yeah yeah um, which i think like both my friends really want to do it and one of them's really like tech interested you know maybe tech savvy i don't really know but they're definitely interested in being tech savvy whereas i'm kind of <laughs> like interested yeah they're interested whereas i'm kind of not interested i'm like okay i want to do because i'm I, I can do the editing the recording everything but they're like let's do three microphones at a time and really make it good and i'm like let's just calm down <laughs> and they'll research it so it's like it's a good mix though like you need someone like that who's like let's bring it to another level blah 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 and i'm like let's get it at this level first yeah um so yeah no it is cool but we just haven't released it yet so there's nothing to even plug but it's fun to make it mm-hmm. you know yeah. haven't released it yet but um i think doing the podcast in paris before this because we released that on spotify each week for a bit and um, I'd never really done anything like that before where I just had a project that I was like vulnerable on each week and like yeah. trying to be entertaining, but also the balance of, okay, people are going to interpret this how they want to. I can't really try to be anything. I just have to speak fluently and try to get my thoughts out there and then release it. Like once you've made it, you kind of listen to it back if you want to, but it's not yours anymore. Yeah. And like, I never really understood that before I made the podcast and each episode I was like this is really a good experience just a practice of making something creative and setting it free and realizing it's not yours and people would be like oh I love the podcast that's so cool that you're doing that like I would be so scared I would be so this and I'm like no you wouldn't you just release it and forget about it yeah. and then you you just it's someone else's at that point yeah it is kind of like a wonderful thing, I have to say, and I, like it, it really depends on. I think for, for me, like the the love of it comes from from conversations. Mm-hmm. I've tried to do, I think, two, maybe three podcasts by myself, where mm-hmm. I tried to take like a topic and go through it, mm-hmm. and I listen back to it, and that is the worst. <laughs> um, and I actually did spend about two hours editing out all of the times I said M. Oh, right. in the podcast yeah. just yeah. because I think I was just by myself and I didn't really know what to say so I was like um, um. yeah and I listened back to it and I was like oh my god this is horrible <laughs> and for whatever reason I don't do that very much when I'm speaking in a, in a conversation maybe <laughs> just because I'm more interested in the conversation than I am with talking to myself <laughs> yeah that's true um, so yeah 
<laughs> yeah, you do kind of like when you learn to edit a podcast, that first go around, it takes like seven hours of just editing out the ums and then like, um, uh, like, but, and, um, uh, you know, like the, all those extra sounds or whatever. And then you're like, I don't want to spend five hours doing just this again. So I'm going to be really strict not to say, um, yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to try and improve your, your your skills in that sense. Yeah, exactly. I'm interested to know, so you've told me that you obviously you grew up in New York uh, uh, or lived quite. in New York. <laughs> yeah, I was, so I was, when people ask me like, oh, where are you from? Like, I'll always just say uh, like the States or whatever. And then if they keep drilling me, it's really hard for me to answer that question because then it's getting into, well, I was born in Manhattan moved to Weston, Connecticut, which is just such a small place and being in Europe, I don't know, like people wouldn't be that familiar with it and um, there's not that much to do there. And so I'm more like, oh, New York. But then it's like, which part of New York were you like raised in? Mm. It's like, ooh, I wasn't raised there. And then, but then Austin, I was there for the longest amount of time, but I'm not really Texan, you know, at that point, because they're very proud of like, being Texan and then if you're a New Yorker you're proud of being a New Yorker um and then I lived in Paris after all of those and then moved here so everywhere I've gotten to live everyone's really prideful of being from there yeah and I'm not quite from there so does that annoy you no not really I find it kind of cool to experience that and be on the outside of it um, and not really have a place where I'm like yeah I'm I'm 100% that you know mm. Um, cause also my mom's American, but my dad's English. And mm -hmm. so I'm not quite like I am from New York, so I'm American and everything, but like the States can be kind of extreme. And I feel like I was raised in an environment where whatever was happening, like if there was a big parade or something where all the kids thought this is like our bubble this is reality my dad like whose english would be like this is ridiculous you know and so i was always a little one foot out the door anyway mm. but then if i go to england like i'm fully american but if i'm in the states it's like oh i'm half english so this doesn't mm. really i have a friend know. who's um half french half irish mm. um, his mother being french and his father is irish and he would have actually lived almost Growing up, anyway, he would have lived almost equal parts of his life in Ireland and mm. in France. So he'd almost change country every two years. Oh, wow. Um, between, back and forth between Ireland and France. And he said to me, one time he said to me, he's like, listen, it's kind of weird. Like, when I'm in Ireland, I'm the French guy. Yeah. When I'm in France, I'm the Irish guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a strange feeling. Um, yeah. So then you moved to, you moved to Paris. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Um, I think the only thing I was ever sure about in my life since I was four years old was that I wanted to go live in Paris because even from a young age, I was like, as soon as I can, I'm going to get out of the States. Like I'm done with this, blah, 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 like seen it, done it. Bye. And like, um, so I just in university, I, I studied abroad in Paris for seven months. And then had to go back to Austin to finish my degree and pretty much just was obsessed with the idea of moving back to Paris. And um, I got a job as a teaching assistant to teach English to little kids in mm. public schools. Um, so I went there for two and a half years with this program called TAPIF. It's teaching assistant program in France. Okay. Yeah. And so I worked with like five-year-olds, four and five-year-olds, and then eight to ten year olds and 13 and 14 year olds mm -hmm. um and that was really cool and i also worked as a server um with my british passport in uh, just to learn french and stuff and <laughs> that but was amazing were those um jobs out of did you take them out of passion because i really wanted to do it because you really wanted to do that or was it because um you felt I'll just do whatever I can to work in Paris. It's my dream to be in Paris and whatever I have to do, I'll do to be there. Yeah, I think it was more whatever I have to do to just go to Paris and stay there for the rest of my life kind of okay. thing. Yeah, that was like my mindset. Um, so I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. And towards the end of university, I was thinking like, 
how I really want to do entrepreneurial things, like reading a lot of like inspirational entrepreneurship books and stuff and following all the social media and thinking, oh, I really want to own my own business and it's all open-ended. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, so when I got the teaching program, it was like a way of, okay, you have a job there. So then my parents were more like, okay, yeah, this is a reality. You're going. And I was like, yeah, bye. Mm. You know, cause at first both my parents were like, oh, you have to go into corporate America and then they'll sponsor you eventually to take a year and work in a European country, you know, like this is how it's done. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really interested in going to a corporate job, um, at least right away, because I do a corporate job now. Um, but yeah. Um, so, and you said that you wanted at one point to live in Paris for your whole life. Yeah. What changed or what happened? Uh, so COVID happens and I stayed there all through COVID, like mm-hmm. the lockdowns, the strict lockdowns and everything, because um, the like Trump at the time Uh, was saying if you're American living abroad stay there don't even bother coming back and I was like yeah okay I'll stay here (laughs) like don't tell me twice so um so I just stayed in Paris and uh I I realized over the course of the lockdowns that I really wanted to do acting again okay and um can I ask when you say again what does that mean like were you acting as as a kid oh right I didn't even talk about that (laughs) Um, yeah, like over the course of my life off and on, like studying acting and joining like improv troops and taking like a beginner acting class over and over again, um, and being in plays and things and kind of, uh, like listening to people about, oh, it's not a real job. It's, it's so rare to make it like you should do anything and everything else kind of, but it's always circled back to acting. And I think over the course of lockdown, I was like, okay, we're in a pandemic that kind of no one saw coming and no one really, this is like a, this is like a movie, you know? Almost, yeah. Yeah, like a virus taking over the world. And I'm like, well, anything's possible. Why, why couldn't I do this? And then also I did a series of customer service jobs that weren't my favorite. And I was like, okay, you can get really good at doing something you don't want to do. Why don't you try to do what you do want to do? And for me, that was acting and I started out watching like masterclass online YouTube interviews and stuff and just kind of taking notes as if I was in school again and uh and so Dublin happened because I had been applying to different jobs just everywhere in Paris and um a few random places just over Europe and like London and everything and I got an email back um just saying hey, would you want to interview for a Dublin office at this company? And um, and something about it, I'd never been to Ireland before at all, um, but one of my best friends, her family's from Cork, and then some of them live in Dublin and everything, and she's one of my favorite people alive, and I just, something came over me. I was just so excited about this opportunity, kind of. I was like, whoa, that would be really cool to live in Dublin. You know, like every cell of my being, I was like, that would be amazing if that, happened because I was kind of trapped in my house in a way but I loved Paris but I was kind of really stuck on Paris so I was closing myself off from things Mm. and Dublin was like an open feeling so I did a few interviews got the job which I kind of wasn't expecting but then I just I'm a believer in kind of letting life take you a bit And I loved Paris and maybe eventually it'll circle back to that, but I didn't want to say no to something. Mm -hmm. Um, And with COVID, like saying yes to an adventure felt really good at the time. So I moved here and like haven't really looked back, to be honest. They're two very different cities. Um, Yeah, I'd say so, but not not too different. Like what how would have you been to Paris before? If I, if I say yes, it's it's almost lying. Um, I have been, but as a, as a 12 year or 11 year old kid, oh. and I think I might have been like there for one day and then I went to Disneyland uh, and then I went home. So no, is my answer. Well, no, I feel like that is... I've seen the Eiffel Tower and stuff like that yeah. in real life. 
Yeah, I feel like that's so resounding, yes, because like I haven't even seen Disney World there. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't go oh, do that's that. that's heartbreaking. <laughs> I remember thinking this is the happiest place in the world. Really? Yeah. Well, I was a kid, I'd never been to anything like that. And even just the idea of like, you're it's obviously huge and you're walking around the little streets and there's like music mm. playing in behind the plants and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, this is just <laughs> such a happy place. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a great time. Yeah, I did love living there. Like, um, if I was having the worst day of my life there, it would be like when I was living in Austin, I was saying like, if I have a really bad day here, it's just a really bad day. But if mm. I'm having the worst day of my life in Paris, I'm still in, I'm still in Paris. It's like the best day of my life in Austin, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But then coming to Dublin, like at least the narrative behind the two cities are very different, right? Mm-hmm. Like. They don't compare actually even a little bit yeah um, now interestingly i think maybe your perspective and i could be wrong right but i think sometimes the perspective that people particularly from the states have of ireland is very different to the reality of what dublin is now mm. uh, in the sense that it's a little bit more stereotypical irish and you know these types of things but I think mm-hmm. at, at the moment Dublin has kind of become like any other European city or I don't know you're, mm-hmm. you're looking at me which you, like you disagree which, which I'm happy to see <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know I kind of uh like when I went to Paris I studied up on like what was hap- like what Paris is what it is to be Parisian versus like living somewhere else in France what people living outside of Paris think of Paris I spoke French fluently before I went there and then I became like schoolboy like fluent and then I became actually fluent over there um, and like I almost put too much pressure on myself to know exactly how to like be French or be accepted mm. by the French people that when I moved here I almost made it a point of like I'm not gonna like put pressure on myself to already know things. I'm just going to be open to what the culture is Mm -hmm. and try not to assume that I know anything before going there. And I'm definitely not Irish. I'm not going to claim to be Irish like most Americans do. Um, (laughs) uh, And like, so I've kind of just come here and let myself be a beginner, like in all senses of the word, which I think actually brought me to like comedy and acting and everything, but also just allowed all my Irish friends to kind of teach me along the way like Irish phrases or like what I don't know there's a lot of I think we're speaking different languages at the same time as well because like American English and like an Irish person speaking English is a bit different like the different phrases and I'm always learning those new phrases so I don't know that I came here thinking a lot of stereotypes were true or anything like that Mm. yeah yeah. It's funny that you say that beginner mindset, that <laughs> beginner attitude or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, as an adult, it's really difficult to adopt that. Yeah. Uh, or at least I found it that way. And I was talking about this on the podcast before, but um, when I first moved to Spain, I, I went over there with the arrogance of thinking, oh, in six months, I'll be fluent in Spanish. <laughs> and then, and I don't know how, why I thought that was teaching English over there, working in an English speaking environment. I spent about maybe one hour a day yeah. in Spanish. It was never going to be six months, but that was just stupidity really. Um, and then what happened was I started like, you know, this conversation in your head of, I should be better at Spanish. Why isn't it happening yet? Mm-hmm. It's now seven, eight, nine, ten months into this yeah. process and I'm still not fluent or whatever, you know, it means to be fluent in a language. Um, basically until I reached the, the point I can't remember it might have even been after a year and a half where mm. I could eventually say Mark stop like you're <laughs> shit at Spanish and that's okay you know just be shit and start speaking at least because I'd become shy mm-hmm. because I, I was criticizing my Spanish so much in my head that I ended up not speaking in groups and it was fine as one-on-one but in a group I became very quiet um, and then what happens if that happens is you don't improve you're not practicing yeah. um, eventually when I said like okay you're not very good at this that's when I actually started to improve it's weird isn't it yeah. I, I adopted like this beginner and I, and I used to start conversations with people sometimes if I wasn't feeling very confident I'd be like I'd be saying to you now I'd be like okay listen uh, I don't speak Spanish very well but I'm mm-hmm. going to try 
and it immediately kind of broke the ice between me and this person who actually didn't give a shit but for me it was important because I was like okay this person doesn't have big expectations of me now yeah and it's fine <laughs> I yeah. can like, just go with that I think that's probably what you're saying a little bit as well is that having that beginner mindset first of all I think is really difficult to have as an as a adult mm. and then to actually go after things which you have to be a beginner at is, is really tricky yeah. so you started ac acting again then you got into stand-up comedy and improv and mm -hmm. um, how did that happen did that first of all did that happen in Dublin or mm -hmm. okay yeah so when I was in Paris I did a little bit of improv before the pandemic um and then so when I moved here it was before the pubs and everything were open again so it was still COVID-y mm -hmm. um that's not a very scientific term I but think uh, it is actually yeah <laughs> COVID-y <laughs> um but I signed up for a gaiety course like a part-time nine-month uh beginner acting course and I kind of did it to make friends in a way yeah. which sounds kind of stupid but I also wanted to do acting so I was like okay like I have an interest and then also maybe friends and it's a long enough amount of time that like maybe this will be my last beginner's acting course because I think when you are interested in something but too scared to commit to it you end up kind of taking a bunch of beginner like stuff again and again which which is totally fine um and I took that at the Gaiety and that was amazing and still really close to everyone that was in my class and everything. Um, and during that, I also took like a Gaiety acting for camera class and a stand-up comedy course. And the stand-up comedy course was with Danny Keogh. He actually does um, a lot at the international bar, um, like comedy improv. And um, he, so it was a 10 week course. And then at the very end, um, he hosted a showcase at uh, Workman's. And so I had all my friends come and um, that was like the first show. And then one of the students in it, one of my friends, Quiva, she got a gig at, a, at the Haypenny, I think. Wow. Yeah, and she just kind of, you know, um walked into different comedy clubs and just said hi I'm a stand-up comedian like do you have any spots available and I was kind of too shy to do that but because I saw my friend doing that I was like okay maybe I'll do that and I walked into the comedy crunch mm -hmm. which is like one of the main yeah. places <laughs> for stand-up comedy in Dublin and I was kind of like hi my name is Madeline I'm a stand-up comedian even though I'd like only done that showcase I was like I've done this um this course with Danny Keel and they're like yeah we know him blah 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 um I said I have a five minute set uh and they said they were so nice with me they were like yeah great like send us a video of your set and everything um normally when we have comedians here they have at least 15 minutes and I was like whoa <laughs> I was like oh my god like it took me 10 weeks to make five minutes which actually was probably two minutes of okay material mm -hmm. you know because now I've been doing it for almost a year and I still haven't done comedy crunch okay um because like they do have like the best comedians and it's like at least 15 minutes um like 10 to 15 minutes and um it's just it takes a long time to build to 10 minutes like a really solid 10 minutes yeah I can imagine yeah so um, but I did go to other comedy clubs and get uh, a spot at like the Hey Penny and um, and Stitches as well. Yeah. Which once you get a spot at a show, it kind of just domino effect, you know. You get to meet other people and they introduce you to other. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. They um they take a chance on you. They're like, oh, I haven't seen your show, but like I'll give you five minutes in this show, and then someone in the audience who's involved somehow is like, oh, that was great. Let me introduce you to this person. And so stand-up comedy has just been a lot quicker at uh, like bringing me in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did that feel like the first time you went up? And I can only imagine how nervous you were. Um, or how nervous I would be in that situation anyway. 
I wonder if I was nervous. I think um, <laughs> I think with stand-up, uh, it's sort of like a beginner's mindset where I never, like I wanted to be an actor and I kind of just took stand-up because I love Saturday Night Live and um, Dave Chappelle and just um, like Whitney Cummings, all these people, David Spade. And I never really thought I would be a stand-up comic, but I wanted to study it because it seemed fun. Yeah. Um, and then the showcase went really well and I just had fun. I just went up there and I was like, just enjoy yourself. And everyone in the class was really close. So I was like, okay, everyone in my comedy course is like really nice and really supportive. I'm doing it for them. And then all my acting friends are here supporting me. I'm doing, I'm like, no one laughs. Like I'm just talking to my friends, you know? And, um, and I had a great time and you do get a lot of adrenaline and you feel like you've accomplished something really instantly. So it's really cool and it's just addictive. And when I started meeting all the good comedians around Dublin and they were inviting me to do shows and stuff, I wasn't, maybe this is an imposter syndrome thing, but I still kind of feel a little bit like, okay, I'm not necessarily supposed to be doing stand up. <laughs> you know, like one day someone's going to look around and be like, yeah, you're not supposed to be here. But because I had the beginner mindset about it, it's like I've only just learned and kept learning. And then if that makes any sense at all. No, like... 100% does. And <laughs> I have that with like not even doing this podcast and like random people reaching out saying that they're listening to it. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, what do you mean you're listening to it? <laughs> you know, people listen to this. <laughs> like I know, like I can read the analytics and like there's numbers, but I don't translate yeah. those numbers into actual people. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I have had various moments, particularly when we do the live ones now, because you can see there's people here. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> you know, this is not me. What am I doing? Yeah. Um, so I, I can, I can understand that. But from that, does that mean that you are like your first passion or your first love is still acting? Or is that kind of in the balance now because you're, you're coming into this stand-up kind of like stand comedy community even mm. more? Um, I don't know, because I think my first anything is writing, if that doesn't sound too like self-indulgent, like pretentious. <laughs> but um. I think improv, stand-up comedy, and acting kind of all go hand in hand all at once because um, I think the best actors are like stand-up comedians just because they do write their own stuff. They're a heightened version of themselves. Um, and when they speak, it's like they're writing new material as well. Um, and they have something to say. Uh, not that normal actors don't have anything to say, but I just, I, I always admire the stand-up comics the most. Mm. Um, and like sketch comics and everything like the Saturday Night Live crew and yeah. like improvisers like people who have their own voice and like they're just the best storytellers and I love to laugh so those are the ones I kind of follow so in my mind doing stand-up comedy is kind of married to acting yeah. in a way and I really do eventually want to make my own stuff when it comes to films and TV shows and like that would be kind of my dream so I don't know it sounds kind of like silly like saying wow. it on a podcast I don't know because podcast is so official and so saying like your dreams on it I don't know mm. but um I I I don't know I think because as long as I'm doing stand-up I feel like I'm training my acting in a way yeah I, uh, I can you're, you're definitely like I, I have so much admiration for people who do it because it's so hard like to stand up in front of people and, and there's no um I know so many people have spoken about this before but there's no um there's nowhere to hide mm. like Technically, with this podcast, now, I can always say to myself, if I make an absolute balls of this, it's never going to release it, or I'll ask you to do it again, or, mm. you know, that kind of way. Yeah. So, it, like, I could always have that place to hide. Whereas when you're in front of people, mm. just you, and your purpose is to make them laugh, that's a, it's a challenge, yeah. you know? I it mean... Is. And everybody has a different sense of the humour, so... Yeah. And speaking to Melinda and Nia and, and these guys, they're like, you'll never make everybody in the room laugh. Not at all. And that's tough. <laughs> it's that stuff to even like work with, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm really lucky as well with the being a beginner through it because I'm also pretty 
um, maybe naive or oblivious to um, like the rules of stand-up. Like, yes, I took a course, but in the course it was like the style of open mics each week. So you just speak, you rant about a topic, whether like something you love for a few minutes or something you hate. And you just have to rant for a while um, like in that course before someone interrupts you, you never edit yourself, you never interrupt yourself or stop yourself or say, oh, I'm sorry for talking too much or something. Um, and it kind of gives you the practice of just speaking about something for a bit uninterrupted. And then you create your set with these jokes, but it's really, it comes from concepts you find funny. Why are they funny? But we were never sat down and like, here's how you write a joke. And I know that there's a whole craft with that mm -hmm. and there's books you can read and um, and everything, but I'm a little bit oblivious to how it's really like supposed to be mm -hmm. um, because I was lucky enough to have that course where we were pretty free mm -hmm. um, to like bring your own tactics to it. So I've learned, I took a course in it, so I learned in a good way, like with guidance, but also I kind of maybe learned the wrong way because I didn't read a book saying, here's how to get everyone in the room to laugh. I had a teacher who is a really talented stand-up comic and improviser and actor who said, if you make us cry, you're doing it right. Don't try to be funny, you know? Okay. So to me, if people are laughing or not, it's kind of none of my business. Okay. Which a lot of stand-up comedians, if they heard me say that, they'd be like, she just doesn't know what she's doing. Like, because you do want to make people laugh. That is the point. But to me, if I'm not having a good time, it's not a good show, you yeah. know? So it's it's not my business if people laugh or cry. Yeah. It's because that's them interpreting me. I just have to go up there and say what I want to say in a way. Like, do you think that's... Um... Is that a decision that you make or so let me just put I'm, I'm not asking that question in the correct way um here's what i have in my head okay i have in the past i um i, I also had a corporate job when i was like really young first out of college right and mm -hmm. um, hated it oh my god did i hate that so much it, it also it, it didn't suit me i found it really stressful and stuff like that mm -hmm. not necessarily I, I wasn't actually bad at it but as particularly at that age, maybe, well, what age would I have been? Like 21. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to handle it in a healthy way. Like my way of handling it was going out and getting pissed on a Friday night, like wasting your Saturday hungover, <laughs> then spending Sunday, like threading Monday. Yeah. Cause we used to have this um, meeting on a Monday about your performance, Monday morning, like before every Monday oh, about your performance. I, I hate like, that. Oh my God. I feel like that's a way of being like, are our employees awake? Yeah, you know, I was horrible. Anyway, um, <laughs> came out of it. You know, I, I I saved up enough money to go traveling and stuff. Eventually mm -hmm. came back, um, and I. But before I started studying again, I studied psychology then. But then, in the meantime, I got a job teaching English as a foreign language, mm. and, um, I made this decision. I'm recycling on my bike, going in to teach my classes. And I made this decision. It's like, if I don't like this, I'm mm -hmm. quitting like mm -hmm. in an hour. Yeah. Like this is about me this time. Yeah. And this is in a weird way. And I ended up loving it, like loving it to the maximum that you could possibly love that job. Yeah. And I think it was because I made that weird decision in my head mm -hmm. saying that if this isn't for me, or if this isn't, you know, what I'm, if I'm not good at it, or if, if I don't enjoy it, then I'm out. And that's mm. okay, I'm out. I didn't put any pressure on the job whatsoever. Yeah. So I knew long term, even though I ended up doing that for 10 years, <laughs> that it wasn't going to be my, my long term career. So I think I didn't put any pressure on myself. But yeah. ironically, I ended up loving it, I think, because of that precise reason. Yeah. Um, and sometimes when you're speaking about sound of comedy and how you're kind of not putting any pressure on yourself, mm -hmm. that's, I think, a little bit maybe why I think you're enjoying it. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know. I mean, it's because uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself for like acting stuff um, because I haven't quite gotten to the point where... I, I'm kind of like because with comedy it's it's like yeah it's none of my business how the audience perceives me and obviously I want them to laugh and if a show like I don't know how to put this hmm. like 
with acting, I do care, I guess, still what my peers would think or if because it's so collaborative and it's like if I write a script, how am I going to put this short film together? How am I going to do it in an organized way so I don't waste anyone's time? How do I get enough funding to pay people? Like, it's just a whole ball game, and it feels like a lot of pressure. And it's like, is what I'm making going to be good? Is it going to be worth it? Is anyone going to watch it? What it, What am I even doing it for? And then with comedy, yeah, I just never put pressure on myself. I was just taking the course. Um, and then when my friend got a spot at Hey Penny, I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just, I admire her for doing that. So maybe I'll just get a spot there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, whoever was in the audience, somehow I got stitches. And then Melinda was there and gave me five minutes here at N2O in the Black Sheep where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And Becky Cheadle was in the audience and introduced me to Mike Sable and Nia and was like, oh, come to Hysteria. And then Robbie Wilde was in my show and he was like, oh, let's go to the Crackdown. And he introduced me to Eddie Malarkey and Damo Clark. And then um, I eventually got a spot at the Crackdown. And then um, I met Brian Gallagher and then I met David McSavage. And then I got to open for David McSavage, which was one of the coolest experiences of my life, you know. And it's like, I feel like I'm almost accidentally getting into these rooms in a way, but um, I've only ever kind of put pressure on myself to enjoy myself because I'm, I'm like not supposed to be doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, whereas acting, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm here to act. I'm here to do this. I want to do it right kind of thing. And then it's you. I'm still doing it, but I'm doing it at a slower pace. Like I'm taking classes to make sure I'm doing it right. Like it's a little bit more stagnant, the acting. Because, yeah, there is sort of a pressure and like, oh, am I a good actor? I don't know. Whereas like stand-up comedy as well, um, no one can come up and say my jokes exactly the same way I say them. And I can't go up and say anyone else's jokes the same way they say them. Yeah. We all have our own voices. And I think it's the same with acting. But at the same time, you are given a script and it can be compared to another one. And like, oh, well, this person got the role because XYZ and so it's a little bit more maybe comparison which comparison freaks me out and like does put pressure on myself yeah it is interesting though that like your internal narrative towards the two things mm-hmm. very much affects how you feel about those two different forms of art yeah um, and maybe how you progress through them I'm not saying one of them is more successful than the other I'm not saying that at all mm. I don't really know yeah um, but what I'm saying is your feeling of how you enjoy it is different mm-hmm. because of the narrative that you have towards each of those two things. It's like one of them's like, yeah. ah, it'll be fine, whatever. If it bombs, <laughs> it bombs, if it fails, it fails, I don't care. Whereas over here, no, this is like real serious, Madeline. This is where I show off <laughs> who I am, my talent and all these other things. Yeah. And obviously that puts a pressure on it's normal. Yeah. Um, what type of writing do you like to do? Um. So... Like, I've always thought of myself as, like, a writer at my core. Even just, like, both my parents are writers and, like, journalists. Um, And so I think even growing up before knowing... Because everyone asks kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so I always kind of stuck to writer. So that's... um, As long as I'm a writer, like, like, um, I've done freelance copywriting, which is, like captions and things for different brands which isn't necessarily my favorite go-to because I like creative writing um poetry writing I wouldn't say that I'm like good at it or anything like that but I want to get more into script writing and um like yeah like nothing it's nothing like official if that makes sense it's like really almost personal in a way but that's kind of my original like expression of because sometimes I won't even know what I'm thinking until I write it down Mm. if that makes sense yeah of course so how does it happen then is it like do you have a routine where at the same time every day you write something or is it just whenever you feel like it or Um, like maybe separating from a professional point of view like mm -hmm. as you said uh, content copyright or whatever Mm -hmm. um copyright whatever yeah Um, (laughs) versus 
writing for the sake of enjoying it or creative writing? Mm. I think like also it's sort of personal because I write to stay sane in a way. Like if I go a few days without journaling, I'm just kind of on autopilot. I think I'm thinking all these things at once and I don't even know what I'm thinking about until I've written it down. Um, So there's no real schedule for it. It's either like when I really need to get something out or um, I think good writing kind of comes into your brain when you're doing other things and then you're just like, oh, I have to write this down right now. Um, And that's kind of how jokes are coming to me right now is like, I'll be doing something completely different or having a conversation with someone and then I'm like, oh, I have to write that down really quick. And then you kind of develop it later. Um, but also I don't do that properly either. I need yeah. to learn how to properly sit down, make a schedule. Cause that is how writer, like successful writers, right. Is they sit down at the same time every day and like have a routine with it. Mm. I'm just not good at routine. Mm. Um, can I ask about the journaling mm-hmm. uh, and getting your thoughts on the paper? Um, it's one thing that like so many people recommend and it is supposed to be brilliant for you. Mm-hmm. I really struggle with it because it's so open-ended. Mm. Um, do you have a way that you structure it or is it just I open the page and I start writing and then I stop when I feel like it? Um, I started writing letters to myself. So I, that's how I structure like a journal entry is like, Dear Madeline, and like just kind of write what I'm thinking. And I don't... I used to journal way more often and in a way more structured way when I was studying abroad in Paris um, and I wasn't really doing that much other than studying because I was traveling and like taking that time for me Mm -hmm. Um, and so in my free time I like put headphones in, walk around Paris and then almost made it my job to journal everything down like I have some ideas for books that I eventually want to write and from that time it's like journal everything down so that you can eventually write a book on it and so that's how I was structuring my journaling was like as if it was for a greater project mm-hmm. um, and that really helped me mm-hmm. in a way like um, almost themed journaling where it's like I'm not necessarily writing down my thoughts and feelings I'm writing down something that will be a story yeah in a way it's interesting I, I found yeah I, I, as I said I couldn't do it I needed uh, certain prompts to mm. like to work off like asking myself a specific question yeah and I could then answer the question when I feel like I've answered the question then I've finished if that makes sense but mm-hmm. I always struggled with the idea of like oh yeah you know you should journal and I was like okay what the hell does that even mean like yeah you know, like what do I write down you know today mm-hmm. is good so, <laughs> you know I found it really hard without being well, I'm, I think I'm getting better and less uh, like critical of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know. I think for me, it's like processing certain topics. Like, how do I really feel about this? Like, as if no one's ever going to read this. How am I? How do I feel right now about this thing happening? Or, you know, yeah. instead of just, oh, what what did I do today? What did I eat? Like, I don't really journal about that yeah. stuff. You should. It's good stuff. <laughs> um, what is your impression of Dublin since you've come here? Um, I think... Um, no. Yeah. Oh, no, no, you're fine. <laughs> okay, yeah, no worries, it's fine. Um, so for, for anybody who's listening, we're obviously we're recording the action, so sometimes we get uh, people coming in, I think they're looking for the toilet or else they place up, they're working here. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah. keep going. Um, so my impression of Dublin, um, I don't know. Like, I just, (laughs) like, that's a big question. I feel like, like, everyone has a really great sense of humor. Um, and everyone's really just, like, lovely. Like, I don't, I don't even know. Because I came here with no expectations. And it's just been amazing. And I, like couldn't have even imagined like the love I have for the people I've met here and the pathways of creativity I've gotten to do like all the opportunities I've had I just had no idea so 
it's like I, since I came here with no expectations, it's like okay, I can't, I don't have anything necessarily to compare it to and say, oh, it's better than I thought or something like that. But it just feels like home now, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Wow. Um. Yeah. Why? <laughs> why does it feel like home? Um. I don't know. I feel like I'm actually kind of accepted here because I think in Paris it it was like uh, one of my last days living there. I was really bummed about the fact I was leaving. So it's like I'd made the decision to move. And then finally, right before my plane, I was like, oh, what am I doing? Should I stay in Paris? I don't know. I'm nervous for this next chapter. And I went to the doctor to get a COVID test to see if I could take the plane and everything. Um, And the receptionist at the doctor in French was like, what's your phone number? And you know how you give your phone number, you might say like, plus three, five, three, 64, zero, four, like, you know, you say 64 and then the digits zero, four or something like that. And so in French, I did that. And she thought it was because I didn't know what 98 was in French. And she's still speaking French to me. And she says something kind of passive aggressive, like, Oh, in France, we say uh, 98 instead of 98. And I was like, this is the doctor's office. Like, yeah, I'm not here to learn French. Yeah, like I, I'm used to being teased by my friends. I'm used to being teased by customers in the restaurant. Like, I know I'm not French and I say things wrong, but like, I'm at the doctor's. Do I have to? Like, no. I was like, all right, bye, France. Bye for now, you know? Because yeah. um, I was just a little bit sick of the pressure of, like, being reminded every day, like, oh, you don't belong here, You're, you know? Um, and it wasn't, like, to that degree of, like, it's not like I was bullied or anything like that. I just always knew I wasn't really supposed to be there. Yeah. Whereas here, I never really get that feeling. Like, occasionally, my Irish friends will turn to me And, like, my really close friends will turn to me and be like, so how long are you here for (laughs) again? Because they're kind of making sure that I don't, like, leave them. Exactly, yeah. Whereas, like, in France, it was kind of, there there was, I don't know, it was just different. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one thing, actually, because obviously on this podcast, we speak to people about, like, making friends with Irish people and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that in in not all cases is it easy, Mm. but... Uh, I think by the way you've you've made like the very like smart decision to get involved in things like acting and stuff and you said earlier on you said it was a bit weird that I wanted to make friends through that but actually that's the perfect way to do it yeah um because you're is you know as an adult it's not like you just go to school or you're in university or something you have to find these things uh, we'll call it your third place you know outside your friends or outside your family and outside your or even outside your house and outside your work Mm-hmm. Or who, like what are you or who are you or what do you do yeah. and I think that's really hard but you have to create that mm-hmm. and then make friends through that way um, and I've subsequently forgotten my original point that I was going to make <laughs> um, um, like making friends with Irish people oh yeah um, I think sometimes Irish people and this might be the case all over the world I don't know sometimes are a little bit reluctant to make friends with people who they think are not going to be here for very long does that make sense i mean that makes sense for like human nature anyway yeah yeah. i think so not all the time obviously Mm -hmm. i think sometimes people are like i know i was here for six months and i found it really hard to make friends with irish people it's like yeah well you know Mm. it's hard like as a as a person let's say i don't know you want to join my football team it's like okay you're gonna be here for two months Mm. and that's just an example yeah you know and i think if you can show people that you're going to and i've seen this a little bit from second hand point of view you show people to a certain extent that you're uh serious about being here Mm. people will be more open to welcoming you here i think Mm. i think i don't know maybe i think um i've like gotten really lucky in that the friends i have we have a lot in common when it comes to what we kind of want from life in a way because i don't know your whole life when you want to do something creative with your life people you get a lot of oh i don't know if you can do that or anything but then if you have friends that also want to do acting or comedy or anything like that they're the kind of first people that are like a hundred percent 
like with you on that and so it's like um you just get really close friendships because they support your dreams and everything and even if you get really romantic about your dreams they they don't sit there and go oh that's you know who knows they they sit there and they're like yeah and like they add to it yeah. and they believe in you and yeah i don't know um and they just happen to be irish <laughs> you know like okay. like, like i haven't point. yeah like i haven't noticed um just because also the the corporate job I'm in is also super international as well. So, yeah. um, and I think having the experience of living in France where it's really hard to make friends with French people, like it's notoriously hard. Um, yeah. And then realizing with them, if you just make the first move with them, then they're your friend for life. And so it's like, I've already been in a place where I'm intimidated to make friends with a certain kind of group of people. And it was really easy once you just don't worry about those stereotypes in a way so coming here again i just had no i wasn't like oh i'm american so i need to make only irish friends or only something like that and so i've never i kind of just looked around and had all these great friends and i just got really lucky in that avenue that i went um if yeah if that makes sense <laughs> yeah um I guess I'm thinking now you've moved around quite a bit in your life, whether it be from New York to Connecticut to Austin and Paris, obviously Europe. Um, do you see yourself here much longer or do you have somewhere else that's kind of my next uh, port? I like how you're doing it too. You're like, oh, are you, are you here for long? Like, are you, <laughs> yeah. you going to leave us? Um, I mean, in the back of my head, I'm just... Because uh, whenever people have asked me, like, oh, like, how long are you here for? Because I thought I'd be in Paris for the rest of my life at, at one point in my life and then I'm here doing all these things I had no idea kind of would exist for me. I almost hesitate to be like, yeah, I'm here forever, even though right now in my head, like I'm here forever, you know, because something could happen like COVID or whatever. So um, I'm here as long as I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And then but I'm not settled in my brain of oh I have to be here forever or anything like that because I almost just am letting go of thinking I can have control over my life in mm -hmm. a way yeah um well from kind of chatting to you what it seems like is is uh interesting mm. to me is uh this is uh who's just joined the show <laughs> is uh Almo uh, our, our co-host you can uh, jump in and say hello hello everyone <laughs> he's only 45 minutes late don't we <laughs> um from chatting to you i i and I, I could be way off but this is just an interesting <laughs> perspective that i have is there's kind of two narratives going on there's the narratives that maybe you're actively writing and the act narrative that you're passively writing, if that makes sense. <laughs> Just so you, always writing. <laughs> well, I mean like creating even, mm. whether it's this kind of idea of Paris and I, as you say, you know, I always see myself living in Paris mm. or I always see myself as more of a writer, as an actor, mm -hmm. whereas the passive kind of written side is like here I am in Dublin having an amazing time here I am doing stand-up comedy having an amazing time mm -hmm. and how you kind of join those two stories together uh -huh. is interesting to me wait you might be making my mind like blown a little bit because <laughs> you're saying that my life how it's like worked out is like there's an active bit and there's a passive bit is I that think what that you're saying <laughs> You're I don't like, really know what I'm saying. It's like Inception. You're like <laughs> describing my life choices. Like you're well, all, you're actively writing in Paris and passively writing in Dublin. I I think what it is there's another way of looking at it is maybe you know they they say the idea of like your head and your heart or your your gut instinct and your head or whatever you know two di mm -hmm. different decision making and when you said that you came to Dublin. Or when before you came to Dublin, you felt like every cell in your body was like, I yes. want to go to Dublin. Yeah. Right. So that was clear. It was like, and you, you, you kind of, when you said it to me, you were kind of like, oh, I don't really know. But <laughs> everything's yes. I feel like it's yes. Mm -hmm. um, so there's this side of the decision making versus the, the narrative that you're writing. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't mean to use the word writing. Creating in the sense of like, Paris and you know yeah. these types of things 
because you know we all have these it's it's all very clear every every single human being in the world has this same thing yeah and it's like how you make your decisions in your life is you know do you go with your gut or do you go with your head or do you go with your heart or whatever mm-hmm. and it's interesting hearing you uh, and i think as you have told me the story of like where you've gone with your life i think you're learning to follow your like kind of gut instinct more than your what you think you should be doing or what you have to do yeah i love that (laughs) (laughs) i love that yeah um i don't know like there's kind of no um should or have to with me in a way um I don't know why that is. I know a lot of people, like, I don't even know where that stems from of, like, you have to do this or you should do that. And then I kind of just, like, so my dad's from England and moved to the States. And I think, and people asked me this yesterday. They were like, you're an only child and you live so far away from your family. Like, doesn't that bother your parents or whatever? And I'm pretty sure if I didn't move abroad, my dad would be like, I feel like you're not my daughter. Like, I'm my Mm. dad's daughter, the fact that I'm doing this in a way. So it's sort of like this is what I should be doing is living Mm. as far away from my family as possible and like learning and like reporting back and be like, oh, this was great. But yeah, I don't know. Like following what your body wants to do and like what makes you happy is like what brings you joy and also peace, you know. Because there's a lot of chaos and um, there are, I've only ever noticed like listening to other people's opinions has brought me to jobs that I feel like I should be doing, but I don't really want to do. And then you get good at doing something you don't want to do and you can still fail at that, you know, and feeling like you're not good enough for people or something and trying to prove that you are. It's like that doesn't bring you peace or joy either. And um I'm very much just learning these things. I haven't mastered them at all. Um, and like, you're always kind of wondering, oh, am I doing this right? Or am I, am I wasting my time? You know, like there's these things. We're going to come back into this now. And for anybody who's listening, it's like, oh, you were in the middle of a point and then it just shut off. And that's because my <laughs> laptop just turned off in the middle of our conversation. Um, and we had spoken about technology before this podcast and how, well, the last few weeks it's been really uh, not going in our favor. but. Um, apologies to anybody who was listening and really interested in what Madeline was saying um, but uh, we had to just uh, restart there a little bit um, so sorry and thank you for your patience Madeline no worries um, I can't even remember what we were talking about but I'm actually just going to say that it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you in general mm. um, hearing about your story moving around the different places um, your openness to learning and trying new things as an adult and I think it's an exciting time for you like you probably have no idea what you're going to be doing or where you're going to be doing it in two years time and I always think that's kind of exciting yeah yeah it is exciting and thank you so much for having me here this has been an awesome conversation and also something I wasn't expecting to be doing you know like um just got a message from you and I was like oh yay like didn't know that I was you know, like the imposter syndrome didn't know that I had a story that was good enough to be here. So thanks for giving, is. giving me is. your time and everything. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, we'll keep in touch. I'm going to go see, when are you performing stand-up comedy next? Um, so I have one gig each week for the next three weeks. Uh, this Friday, I'm on the Friday Night Live um, at Hysteria. Which is at Cine, Cine, Cine Bar. Sorry, um, and then uh, I'm on at the Crackdown Comedy Club next Thursday, which should be on at Workman's as well. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Very cool. Um, and yeah. we can follow you on Instagram to kind of keep up to date with your upcoming gigs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a token gingy. Token gingy. <laughs> <laughs> because no token way. ginger was taken many, many moons ago. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Madeline, that's a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.